Good morning, everyone. And um, just want to welcome you all here this morning. Um, yes, obviously, I'm not Pastor Ben. Um, you know, so Ben and the Grise family are in the US at the moment, visiting family. So that's, that's fantastic. So they'll be back in a few weeks' time. So um, look, for those who, who haven't met me, um, I'm Phil and I'm married to Alison, who's sitting there at the front, and my son, Josiah. So that's our little clan. Um, Look, if you have a Bible, let's turn to Ephesians. Um, it's in the New Testament, and we're going to be starting in chapter 1. And um, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Um, the Bible passages will be displayed on the screen behind me. Um, but as you, yeah, how, how awesome is it to you know, sing praise and worship to, to our Lord? And you know, it's, it's honor that's due to His name. And even if He did nothing else, just the fact that God exists... He's worthy for us to sing to him and ascribe to him and tell him how good he is and how great he is. Um, but you know what? We have such a privilege to be able to sing and tell others um, through song and through word um, to proclaim his attributes. And we're going to look at some of that today. And uh, we have a blessing of just as we sing, having our hearts prepared and ready. Because as you think about the Lord and you think about how good he is, you know, causes us to want to desire to get into his word to understand more about him. So, you know, the Bible is God's revelation to us. It wasn't man coming up with words to try to understand God, but it's God saying, hey, this is what I want you to understand about me. And so as we read from Genesis all through to Revelation, it's God speaking to us to tell us about how he wants to be known. And that's why we study the word. And it's all about Jesus Christ. So hopefully you're at Ephesians. Um, let's open with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we can come into this place and worship you, that our, our hearts can speak with you and you desire to speak with us. And you've blessed us with this Bible, this word um, that is your revelation to us, that you've made things clear to us and you've revealed yourself through Jesus Christ, through that person of Jesus, Son of God, and that through him, we can know you. We can have salvation for sins. And so as we study your word this morning, um, give us more than head knowledge, Lord. We pray that you give us heart knowledge and just a deeper love for you and help us to respond to the things that you show us in faith and obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, and just before we do, some quick announcements. So there are some studies, midweek studies, that are starting up again this week. Um, biblical theology on Tuesday. Um, I think there's a midweek study on Wednesday that, that Bob's hosting. And next Sunday, there's also, I think, biblical theology starting again. So plenty of opportunities to, to get into the Word. And then in early February, most of the other studies are going to start. So, um, But there's details, um, I think. Come, let, come see me if you don't know. Um, all right. Ephesians. Um, you know, many years ago, um, Ali and I were traveling with friends to New Zealand for a, a hiking holiday. Got on the flight and, you know, we were booked for economy. And you can imagine our surprise when we were quietly upgraded with our friends to, to business class. Had no idea what was going on. Never flown business class before. Wonderful experience. And, you know, it's nice having your own little space. Meals were nice. And it was, it was pleasant. And, and entertainment options were, were, were great. Anyway, we regrouped when we arrived in New Zealand. And it, it soon became really apparent to me that I hadn't utilized all the benefits that were available in business class. And you know, when you go there, there's, there's chips and there's drinks. And I'm used to economy where everything you pay for. And I'm thinking this thing's already costing me a bit of money. 
There's no way I'm going to pay for stuff in business class. And I got off and everyone said, yeah, you know, we had some drinks and snacks and things because it was complimentary. It came with being part of being in business class. And in hindsight, you know, I possibly felt being in business class, I felt very undeserving because, you know, we're on a hiking holiday and wearing hiking stuff. Um, and I probably felt just fortunate to be in there without realising that the airline wanted me to eat that stuff. Like they put you there, they don't treat you any differently. They go, you're in business class, we're going to treat you like you're in business class and here's all this stuff that comes just with being there, even though I hadn't paid for it. And similarly to being a Christian, there's things that as a Christian I know about. So, But there's also lots of things I don't know about that come in the package of being a Christian. So when I first got saved, I understood salvation. I understood that I needed to receive forgiveness for my sins, as sins as defense against God, by confessing and accepting Jesus into my life and as my Lord and Savior through faith. But uh, we'll just have a quick look at Romans 10, 9. So, so and, you know, I, I understood this. Romans 10, verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I knew that. I said, yeah, great. I'm a Christian now. I'm saved. Okay. And that was kind of it. That was the extent of my faith. And it wasn't for many years that I didn't realize that when I got saved and Jesus do it in my heart through the Holy Spirit, that I thought it was him coming into me. But over time, I realized that I am in him. So think about that. Here I am walking along, going, Jesus is in my life. I'm, I'm saved. And in fact, God's got this different perspective of me and saying, well, I'm not looking Phil at you with Christ in you. When I look upon you, I see Christ and you're in him. And we're going to look at some of that, this idea today because this was very transformative in my relationship with the Lord. So it changed my entire identity. It, it changed. I understood how God viewed me. And that's how he wants me to relate to him. It's not something that I've come up with. It's something that he goes, you know what? You're in him and the Bible took in Christ. And that's what the Bible speaks of. So what does that mean? So there's blessings that come through being in Christ. And God wanted me to know that so that you know, I wouldn't be striving in my own efforts. Because when, I, when I'm thinking I'm outside of Christ, there's all this stuff that I feel like I ought to do. I've got to work harder because I've got to achieve all this stuff for God. And God's going, hang on a second, you're in Christ. And I can simply trust and walk in faith on those promises. And it doesn't mean I'm any more slack in, in my walk. But how I think about the Lord and then how I think about how he uses me is significantly different. So there was more to business class than I knew, which prevented me from completely partaking in that experience. But, you know, thankfully God has revealed himself to us through his word, the Bible, through Jesus. And we can know for sure everything that he's done for us in Christ and consider how that changes how we live our lives. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the book of Ephesians was written by the apostle Paul. So apostle just means 
Apostle just means messenger, one that is sent. So Paul's a messenger. And he's sent according to God's will. And you might remember from the book of Acts in chapter 9, where Paul, or he was called Saul at the time, he's on the road to heading towards Damascus because he's going to persecute the Christian church. And God, Jesus, intercepts him on the road and, and stops him. And Paul gets, or Saul gets converted later. He changes his name, or God changes his name to Paul. And at that point, Saul is told, you know, you were persecuting the church, but I'm going to send you. You've got, I've got a different path for you, a different calling for you. I'm going to send you as an apostle, as a messenger to the Jews, but also to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. All right? And thankfully for that, that God gives a calling and he intercedes because if Paul hadn't gone to the Gentiles, most of us here wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't have heard the gospel. But we have, so praise God for that. Um, just for those, you know, Jesus Christ, um, because there might be some new people here. Yeah, you know, Christ is from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed or chosen. It's equivalent of the Jewish word Messiah. So um, it's, not a t- it's a title. You know, it's a title we differentiate between, because you know, there's many people called Jesus, but it's the one with a title we differentiate, Jesus, who was the one, the Son of God. Um, it's, not, it's not his surname, if, if people weren't sure. So... But in our calling, in, we can look at think people like Paul and say, we can be tempted to think there's higher levels of calling. We can go, well, Paul's an apostle. Oh, I wish I was an apostle. Or oh, oh, there's this evangelist I know, or Ben's a pastor. Oh, I really want to be that because that's, that's a high level of calling. And, you know, the Bible doesn't have that, right? There's, there's, there's like God and then there's a calling. And... The Bible teacher tells us that not everyone's an apostle or a pastor or an evangelist. But, you know, the most important calling is the one that God's got on your life right now. And you might be working as a manager. You might be working in a store. You might be a stay-at-home mum. You might be a retiree. You could be a student or you could be whatever. But wherever God's got you and however he's using you, that's your calling, right? That to be as obedient to that thing as possible. And, you know, sure, God will open up doors and will show things in the same way he showed Paul a different direction. But sometimes we can go, well, if I'm not at that spiritual level, is God going to use me? And absolutely he does. He wants to use each of us wherever we're at, however small it may seem to us, Okay. And, you know, that's a very exci- it's a very exciting and freeing thing. Because when I was younger as a Christian, and when I first got saved, I was really excited. I wanted to quit school. I wanted to go on in the ministry. And I had a really good youth pastor at the time. He said, you know what, maybe just finish school. Get through that and then make a decision. And I'm like, hang on, but God, God needs me. God wants me. And I'm thankful that there was someone that wise in my life who, who spoke that to me. And you know what God has created through not going into ministry per se as in, in paid ministry, but through other paths, great, great, wonderful opportunities to share with people who would not come across Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants to do with you. And so all of you guys are messengers. All of you guys um, have, that, have that opportunity to be used of, of the Lord, to share with, with people you come across. Okay. 
So Paul writes his letter to the saints and the Ephesian saints. The saints just means those who are holy, consecrated, all set apart. And they're those who are faithfully trusting in, in Jesus Christ. And you know, you may not feel like one. You may not even look like one. But if you love Jesus, if you're serving Jesus, you're a saint. You know, you're not a saint because man has applied a, a title to you and said, well, you know, I'm going to call you, you know, St. Allison or St. Matt. But you're a saint because God calls you a saint because you're faithfully serving him and he's set you apart for a special purpose. And so, you know, look at the person next to you. Do they look like a saint? Well, they are a saint, all right? And praise God for that. I even I'm a saint. Okay. Anyway, so Paul wrote this letter while still in prison in Rome, and it was around 60 AD. And, and look, despite Paul's own deprivations, it's amazing that he can still rest in the grace of God and the peace of God. And so he had peace not just with God, but he had peace in God. And despite what trials we may encounter in life, we can have that same confidence. We can say, God, I can have peace not just with you, but I can have peace in you. And neither grace always precedes peace. It's never peace before grace because it's through grace that we receive peace. Okay? So we were at, at enemies with, with, with God until we received his forgiveness, which was given to us graciously. He didn't have to, but he did. And he's given us more than that. And it's through that then we, we have peace. And there's this acronym um, some may know, and it's helpful, it's helpful to, to remember a definition of grace, G-R-A-C-E, being God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, okay, God's riches at Christ's expense at Christ's expense. I, th I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. And, you know, the more and more as, as a Christian I, I live my life and the more I study his word, the more I realize how unbound that grace really is and, and, and how awesome God is in, in terms of not just what he's done for me through the cross, but just in, in through constantly in my life and how he's constantly transforming me and how he's blessing. Okay. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Um, you know, for anything God has done, he's always worthy to be blessed, like we sang before. Sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes we just have those weeks, those days, it's, oh God. But you know, he's still worthy to be blessed. And there's many times where I haven't felt like worshipping God. And I know he's worthy to be praised. And my, my, my mind goes, you need to tell God how good he is because he is, even though you don't feel like it. And it's amazing in those moments, the revelation that he brings to me to remind me. And I, I go, yeah, that's true. You are good, God. You are faithful. You are loving you are jealous for me. You do pursue me. You don't. You are faithful to your promises to me. Okay. But he's blessed us and he's favoured us with every spiritual blessing, not just some, um, but every. You know. And sometimes we think God withholds from us, and He does withhold things from us for good reason. Um, but in terms of spiritual blessings, no, 
because he there's a, and we're going to see in a moment why he gives us spiritual blessings. It's not just to puff us up and lift us up, but there's a purpose behind it. He has a will behind why he's done it. And so Paul can rejoice even though he's languishing in prison under physical and material hardship uh, because he himself understood that he's rich in the heavenly places. And so these blessings which are spiritual, they're not physical or material, and note that they are not from Christ. Sometimes we sit here and we go, we go, Christ, I receive, you know, we get blessings from Christ. But it says that these blessings are in Christ, if we look at the words. Being in Christ, we receive blessing. And so they can't be separated. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ. So it's not like these things are optional extras, but these things are just part of what we've, what we've obtained through being saved. But the focus for these is on the, the greatness of Christ and, and being in, in him. And too often we, we can desire and chase material things, thinking they will satisfy us. But as King Solomon realized in the book of Ecclesiastes, it does, they don't satisfy. Those material bliss, the material life doesn't satisfy. And he would, he would say, vanity of vanities, all is vanity like grasping the wind. Um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, um, Solomon says, you know, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not hold, withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. While acknowledging we have, we do, and we do have needs. We, yeah, we have temporal, earthly needs. We have health issues. We, how am I going to pay the bill? How am I, you know, going to get through life? And those things are real, you know. And and we have a God who faithfully provides, and He provides a, a church that can support each other um, through through times of difficulty as well. Um, but I like how Spurgeon compares the excellence of spiritual blessings versus material things. He goes to say, Spurgeon says, Our thanks are due to God for all temporal blessings. They are more than we deserve. But our thanks ought to go to God in thunders of hallelujahs for spiritual blessings. A new heart is better than a new coat. To feed on Christ is better than to have the best earthly food. To be an heir of God is better than being the heir of the greatest nobleman. To have God for our portion is blessed infinitely more blessed than to own broad areas of land. God hath blessed us with spiritual blessings. These are the rarest, the richest, the most enduring of all blessings. They are priceless in value. And so, you know, if we're here today and we're going, you know, God hasn't blessed me in this or blessed me in that, realize that he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. And the greatest thing he can give to us, apart from his son Jesus, is these, the blessings that we get through Christ. And, and they're worth being desired and worth being um, partaking in them. So in the remainder of chapter 1, um, Paul lists out these blessings. And we're not going to cover all of chapter 1 today. Um, it's, 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 it, there's, there's too much in there. Um, but the first three chapters in Ephesians, Paul talks about, uh, presents doctrine. And then in the last three chapters of Ephesians, he talks about duty. Like, how do we apply these things now we have this understanding of... Of, of doctrine, how we understand God. 
And often you hear people um, want to talk about the last chapters of Ephesians, about how we are going to act and do things without actually understanding the doctrine that sits behind it. And so we can fall into a trap of going, being about doing without really understanding, well, why is it? How has God revealed himself to me? How has he been faithful to me and done things that give me an idea of what his character is like, which then should reflect in how I treat others and how, and, and how I interact with others, okay? And so there's got to be work in our lives first before we can do something for him. So we need to see our position in Christ, seated with him in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places before we can learn to walk the Christian walk. Okay, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So before the foundation of the world, before this universe was created, um, God chose us. And, you know, what's amazing about that, you know, he chose us, even with his foreknowledge, it, that it, even though he knew we were going to rebel against him and going to sin against him, it says that he chose us. Okay. Now, I don't know about you guys, you know, I, I have to hire people at work and I like to interview them. I like to look at their CV. I like to get some character references or some of you young guys that are applying for jobs, you know, you give your CV in and they always ask you, oh, who's a reference for you? Who can we ask to actually find out really who you like? And even though, you know, I have to, I or, or people who are hiring young people have to show a distinction between, am I going to hire this person or not? I'm going to choose them or not choose them? And sometimes I've, I've, I've thought about some of the, the jobs I've got and I thought, I was quite fortunate that I got chosen, right? Despite maybe lack of experience or, or whatever, whatever it might be, some, some failing in, in my abilities. But you know what? Despite the failings in our abilities towards God and him knowing ahead of time that we we're going to sin, he still chose us, right, before the foundation of the world. How amazing is that? And he didn't say, and you know, he doesn't just say here, I'll pick some and not pick others. I'll choose the ones that I think are good, are better, and the ones that are a bit flaky, uh, you know, I don't know. But he says he chose us. And it doesn't also say that he chose us and rejected others. Okay? So there's, I know people get, get very caught up on predestination. Well, if he, God chooses some, does it mean he rejects others? No, the Bible doesn't say that. And, you know, in, in our understanding, you know, we, we can say, well, if it's not this, it's got to be that. There's clear human logic. Um, but, you know, God's logic is often above our logic many times. And all I can read here is, says that God chose us. And so, no, he doesn't choose people to go to hell, right? People make their own decision and he gives, he gives people free choice to say, you're going to accept me because I've chosen you and you're going to accept me and to, to spend eternity with him or not. You know, it's, it's an individual's own decision. But Revelation chapter 2, verse 5 gives us an interesting insight about God's choice and... and, and and eternity. Um, 
sorry, chapter 3, verse 5. I think I, I might have given Paul the wrong one. Um, but it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And so, you know, this seems to indicate that everyone's name starts in the book of life. Okay? You start in the book of life, and then he makes a decision, says, well, I blot you out. And that point comes when a, the, a person's made a firm rejection, a firm intention to reject God's plan of salvation um, in Jesus, where God goes, okay, if that's a decision you really want to make, then here it is. But you know what? God, and we see this in the book of Revelation, that God is so patient with us. He gives, even in the book of Revelation, where he's judging the world, he keeps a remnant of people to give them an opportunity to repent. And so when people are asking, well, you know, if God chose, and he, how do I know whether he chose me or not? It's very simple. Accept Jesus. Accept the gift of salvation that he's given to you in, through Jesus Christ and receive him into your life. And... This is such an awesome message which you can take to people to say, you know what, your name is in the book of life and you can, conf and you can get that confidence that it's there by receiving Jesus. And we can tell our family and friends that you know, God loves you. He's put your name there. He chose you before, you before you're even born, before the foundation of the world. That, but he wants you, he's, your, name, your name is there. But are you going to accept that? Are you going to believe? And, you know, God will never force a person to love him. Um, but praise God, you know, for every, there's so many reasons for us to love him and so many opportunities we have to tell people that God does love them, okay? When the coach, yeah, recently we had the Soccer World Cup last year and... Yeah, there was a lot of um, discussion about who was going to make the Socceroos team, who was in, who was out. And, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to that. You know, I've got certain players I'm, I'm fans of. And, but, you know, when a coach selects players for his or her squad, there's an excitement of joining and playing with the team under the coach's instructions. You know, the coach has a game plan and he chooses players that he wants to be part of that plan and thus... The coach, he wants them to play well, okay? He doesn't just put them on the field and say, guys, good luck, I hope you go well. But there's a plan, there's a thought, there's a goal, there's an outcome that, that he's looking for. And, you know, as a Christian, after, after having got saved, I'm going, well, God, you've predestined, you, you chose me, but how do I know I'm going to last? How, long, how do I know I'm going to get there? And, you know, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 um, is just a, a good encouragement where it says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, he chose us. He's given us the opportunity to follow him. But more than that, he will continue that work. He doesn't just say, hey, good luck. It's all yours. But he, he gives us the ability to, to do well. He will continue and complete that good work. And so when you're struggling with sin or you're troubled in your walk with the Lord and you're unsure whether you can even come before God, you know what? I've had those moments where I go, you know, Lord, it's been tough. 
And it's hard, you know, sometimes it's harder to talk to God. Uh, but, you know, you can be confident that he chose you. And he, because you know he chose you and will complete that good work, um, he wants you to come to him. He wants you to talk to him despite how you're feeling. Um, so persevere. Don't give up. So it says that he chose us to be holy and blameless before him in love. And so, you know, we're considered holy, um, pure and without sin, because we're in him. You know, for many years as a, as a young Christian, um, yeah, every time I sinned, I, kind of, I knew I had to confess and I had to repent. And repent just means 180 degree turnaround. So you go in this direction and you're going to repent and go in that direction. But, you know, it seemed too simple yeah, confessing and, and just saying, okay, God, I, I've confessed my sin and I'm really sorry. It seemed too si simple. An insufficient penalty, you know, and I felt many times that I had to make it up to God, that I kind of had to get, get, get brownie points on the board again to be able to continue walking with the Lord. And that it needed to, to demonstrate my sincerity and earn God's forgiveness. And, you know, I'd vow that next time I'd work harder. You know, God, oh, okay, God, this time, next time I'm going to read my work. I'm going to read the Bible even more. I'm going to make sure I attend church regularly. I'm going to pray harder, God. And you know what? I'd stumble again and I'd be discouraged again. And th this endless cycle of trying to do the stuff to please God. And... What I was demonstrating in my actions is legalism, right? That I didn't have complete trust in Jesus' work for me on the cross and his resurrection, that I felt I needed to do works to justify myself, to maintain relation or uh, to be you know, in relationship with the Lord. Now, don't misunderstand me. You know, when, when we sin... When we break that communion with God in the same way that if I said something awful to Alison and I upset her, I can't ignore that, right? There, there's a breakage in, in our relationship. But it doesn't mean that we're no longer husband and wife. But I want to restore that. I want to talk to her and say, you know what? I said the wrong thing and, and, and seek her forgiveness and make things right. And so, yeah, we, we do need to confess sin. But I was going, okay, God... I need to do more. I need to prove to you that I'm worthy of your salvation and that I'm worthy for what you, Christ did for me on the cross. And so rather than relating to God through intimacy, through love, my relationship with Jesus was through duty. It was through having to, having to do this stuff. I ought to do this. got to do this stuff. And I didn't understand Jesus' death on the cross was complete and more than sufficient to perfect me. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And so Jesus' sacrifice was more than sufficient to perfect me, and not just for today and forever. Now, does being perfect mean I don't sin? No. But when he looks upon me, when God looks upon me, he doesn't see and go, oh, Phil, you're, a si you're that sinful Phil. But he sees... Christ's blood, his righteous blood that was spilt, that was sat that satisfied that penalty of death and carried my guilt. And God looks upon that and says, 
yeah, I see you as holy. And I, there's nothing I can do to become, in God's view, more holy because Christ has done it all. He's perfected it on the cross. And that's such an amazing thing to come off my shoulders because now I can think about how, God, do we, I just get to know you and, and be intimate with you, not, God, how do I, how do I measure up to the, what holiness is meant to be, okay? And so, you know, I began enjoying my relationship with God a lot more when that realisation came in for me. And reading the Bible became a joy, right? Yeah, it's a joy. It's not a chore because I'm doing it out of love. I'm doing it not out of a duty. Praying became easier because it was about intimacy, not about hours, not that I prayed for hours, but, but just that whole nature, you know. And, and think about relationships with those that you care and love deeply, you know. If I measured my relationship with Alison about how many hours or time or how many tasks, things I did for her, and was that good enough, you know, that's not... That's not loving. That's not intimate. Okay. But, you know, as I spent time with Jesus, what also happened was the fruit of the Spirit, being love, would manifest itself in my life more naturally. I wasn't trying to be loving. I wasn't trying to achieve things for God. But just his work in my heart as I became more Christ-like became natural in my life. And, and people who maybe I wouldn't have had the ability to minister the two before because I'm trying, oh, I've got to minister to them. Now God's living his life. Jesus is living through me and bearing fruit and love naturally in my life. And those times of testing where I'm going through trials and temptations, it's no longer, oh, it's a drama. How am I going to get through this? But I can go through that with joy. All right. I can go through that with patience and long suffering because Christ is living naturally through me not me having to do this stuff and striving to be something that i naturally can't do apart from jesus christ so i really encourage you to see yourself as god sees you that you are holy okay there's nothing you can do to be in his eyes more holy yes there's sin in our life that he wants to deal with that separates that communion with him um but Knowing that he views you as holy and there's not more you, can, you can't achieve anything apart from Christ, become more intimate with Christ. Come into more a loving relationship and say, I want to get to know you, Lord. I want to just get to spend time with you, sit at your feet, talk to you, listen to you, hear what you have to say. Okay. It also says that we're considered blameless, so without fault, no longer guilty and condemned. Um, you know, reminds me of... Um, yeah, just a child. Yeah, you know, I was trying to think of was Josiah ever like this, my son, that he was did he ever intentionally muck up and kind of be dirty? I'm sure he did, but I can't think of it. But you know, but there's a difference between me considering him um clean um versus him being blameless, right? So just say he intentionally done something wrong, created a mess, and it's like, okay, we've got to fix this up. You know, you just, you just saw, you knew that was wrong. Yeah, Dad. And then we fix things up. But I go, you know, we go to the naughty corner, all right? You're, you're in trouble, right? I'm, you're, you're guilty, okay? And stay there until my anger subsides, you know, however long that is. 
But that's not how God looks on us, which is amazing. He, he, wants us, he views us as holy and blameless. So he looks on us like he's cleaned us up. But, he, but not just that he's cleaned us up, but through Christ, that guilt has been removed from us. He doesn't hold that on us and say, well, I'm going to keep holding you accountable for that. And, you know, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, according to the Spirit. So, you know, this doesn't mean that gives me open slather to sin and do whatever I want, because oh, God's not going to condemn me. No, because he obviously sees the intent of my heart. But what it does mean is that when I do fall, even though I don't want to fall, and Paul talks about this in Romans, God doesn't keep holding that over my head and say, you're guilty, you're condemned. He goes, you know what, when Christ died for you, he made you holy. He perfected that in you. But he made you blameless, and he took that guilt from you. So I don't have to go through life trying to remove that guilt, but I can come before, confess my sin, and again, have that intimacy with him. So that judgment's been removed. Jesus was punished in our place, and that's due to God's agape love, his affectionate and unconditional love. And it's not due to anything special we've done or anything that we are. Um, so that should motivate us right, to get to know God more, not be separated because we feel guilty, know that Christ has taken, take, taken that. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 says to 22 says for it pleased the father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And so we've received reconciliation and peace with God. So reconcile means to see eye to eye. Right? When, you, when you look at, for those in accounting, and you have to reconcile numbers, and you have to go, we've got this, this set of numbers, and we've got this set of numbers, something doesn't stack up. And so when we reconcile with God, something doesn't stack up. God's got the sense of a standard of holiness, and he goes, you haven't met that, and so how do I balance that? How do I meet that? And so we're reconciled because Christ has, by us being in him, has set that standard, has, has allowed us to be holy so we can reconcile, we can, we can match with God's standard. Okay. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to good, the good pleasure of his will. And when we look at adoption here, you know, it's not about adoption as babies, you know. Um, yeah, this refers to adoption as sons, as, as like almost like adults, as taking the place of an adult son. Um, Barclay, he explains it like this. He goes, in Roman law, when the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost all rights in his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person. 
So was he that even all debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they had never existed. All right. So let's recap. So adoption, it's I've got this life. That life is gone. I've got this new life. I'm in this new family. But adoption, adoption here is not about how do I enter the family because how do we enter God's family? It's by being saved. It's through receiving Jesus into our life, by being regenerated, okay? And so if you look in John chapter 3, you know, Nicodemus had all these questions for Jesus. How do we enter the kingdom of God? How do we become part of that? And Jesus explains to him, you need to be born again. And that transformation, that has to happen spiritually. So we are regenerated through, through Christ. But this particular verse, it's about our involvement in the family. How do we relate to the Father? And the idea here is that as we become adopted as sons, we're entering as part of the master's business. We become co-heirs. We cooperate. We work together. Okay? And, you know, that's a wonderful thing. I, I remember when I first started playing guitar and I was blessed I had opportunity to play with some really good guys and I remember the very first time because you know I don't know for those who, who who learn musical instruments that's hard you know and it's hard for something to sound good and the first time I said hey you know come and play sit with us and play you know let's have a jam it was really cool right because here I am thinking I'm not worthy to play with these guys right? these guys are too good for me what can I can contribute but they wanted me to be part of, they wanted me to cooperate with me and be a part of what they're doing. And that's that same idea with being adopted as sons and being a co-heir, that God has given us that opportunity to work with him, to contribute to his work, and he's working now. Now, too often, um, we think work is hard and it's tough. We don't see work as a, as a privilege. Sometimes we might look at work like it's... Um, yeah, like I've got nothing to offer and, and okay. But you know what? God does a lot, does the heavy lifting, okay? And God wants to partner with us and says, I want you to be a part of the work I want to do. And if you look in Matthew chapter 25, it's the parable about um, the talents. And, you know, there's a ruler and he gives each of his servants number of talents, like some, some coin, some money. And each of them, according to whether they got five or two or one, act upon it. And the one who did five, he goes and invests the five and he gets five back. The one who gets the two, he invests the two, he gets two back. And the one who had the one, he didn't do anything with it. And he said, oh, and, and he explained to the, to the master, to the ruler, I was scared of you, I know you're an evil man, you take what you want. But the point is that... God has given us, in differing amounts, levels of grace, as levels of, of faith to act upon. And whether you have great faith or small faith, he's given us faith to say, act on that faith, do your part, work with me. Now, sometimes with young people, you, know, you might feel, I'm too young, what do I have to contribute? I'm too young, I haven't been a Christian for very long. But even for you, God's giving you faith and wants to work with you and give you opportunity to serve with him, okay? And sometimes those simple things are just simply praying for someone. It could be just open your word and, and consider me today. 
but he's given us faith to act upon in differing amounts. Let's do that as co-heirs with him. Okay. So he's done this according to his, the good pleasure of his will. And you know, we can often look at God as if he is constantly angry. And, and Martin shared a, a good message the other week about righteous anger. And God displays it righteous anger over sin, over things, offense to him. But there's also a side where he shows good pleasure to us. And, you know, he actually takes pleasure in us, okay? And if you read the, the book, Song of Solomon's, is a beautiful love story where a man pursues his beloved, you know, and what he does to woo her. And... There was a lot of you know, discussion at the time. Should the should the should that book be in the Bible or should it not? And it was through, yeah, the decision they made was that but that book should be in. And it's a wonderful book if you've never read it. It gives you a sense of how does God really love me? How does He pursue me and think about me? You know, He's not this static, inanimate impersonal God, but he's a God that, that desperately loves us. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 to 8, you know, we see how the extent of God's love towards Israel. He says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples, but because the Lord... For you are the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 6, Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. And, you know, we're exactly the same. We may not be mighty. We may not be look, you know, these great people. Um, we can be very stiff-necked. But still he loves us in the same way he loved Israel. And he takes pleasure in us. Okay. And verse, lastly, verse 6 in Ephesians, the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And, you know, I'm just going to wrap it up there, that we're accepted, which means that we're embraced, that we're highly favoured. He loves us. He, embra- he wants to embrace you. He wants to get to know you and, and have an intimate relationship with you. And he does it through his word. He does it through when we spend time and we meditate on that and pray. He does it as we come together and we sing and we sing songs that he speaks to your heart and says, you know what, I'm reminding you about my character and, and how awesome I am and how much I want you to be you know, walking with me so I can use you, so I can bless you. And so my, my quest, challenge, I guess, for everyone today is, you know, are we struck, you know, are we struck in our, do we being faithful and obedient in the calling God's got for us? Or are we striving to be something that, that God may not intend for us? Um, do we have that confidence that knowing that he's chosen us, that you know, your name is in the, in the book of life? Amen. Hopefully, yes. Um, do we know that we're, you know, we're holy and blameless so we can lay aside legalism, that we can just walk with him in intimacy, in, in, in love? And be able to tell others about the God, the work that God's done for them on the cross. Um, and moving beyond that, do you do you look forward to, to co-airing with with God and and being involved in His work? 
and know that he wants to work with you. Know that he's got, got a plan for, for you and that he equips us. He equips us for, for that work. Okay. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these promises, these blessings that you've given to us for just for being us being in Christ, that you you look upon when you look on us, Lord, you you see him. And that you look upon us as holy and blameless, that you chose us, Lord, before the foundation of the world. And that the work that you've got for us, Lord, just doesn't stop with salvation, but you have a plan for us to to be heirs with you, to work in your business, to be about your business. So we pray, God, that you would show us how to be closer to you, how to walk in those things. We pray, God, that you would show us if there are there are people, Lord, that we know that we should be sharing with them this this beautiful news of just the gospel of grace that, through Jesus Christ. And um, so we pray you go with us this week. Thank you for your spirit that empowers us to do your will. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.